morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Thank you to the generous underwriters of Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Tuesday, October 10th, we're studying Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 to 13. In today's text, the author of Hebrews continues to apply the word of God from Psalm 95 to the lives of the congregation, that they would enter the rest that God has won for them in Christ Jesus. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor James Preuss. Pastor Preuss serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Ottumwa, Iowa. Pastor Preuss, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Thank you. It's good to be with you. So we get started today, Pastor Preuss, talk to us about the book of Hebrews, anything that we should know as we prepare to look at this text, and any context that might be helpful for this part of chapter 4 as well. Well, I mean, uh, I don't think everyone reads through the entire Bible every, every year. Pastors should, uh, but uh, not, not everyone has the luxury that pastor does have the time to do that. Um, if we get to do it in our office during working hours. Uh, but I, I would say that everyone should read through the book of Hebrews every year, or at least every other year. It's such a fa- fantastic book. Uh, and as we were just talking about uh, before we went on the air, uh, John Kleinig wrote a commentary both for Leviticus and for Hebrews. And uh, there's, I think there's a reason why he wrote a commentary for Leviticus and for Hebrews. They very much connect. Uh, you don't understand the worship of the Old Testament without reading Leviticus. And uh, and really, you don't really understand our own worship if you don't read through Leviticus. And you don't understand Leviticus uh, from a New Testament standpoint unless you read through Hebrews. So Hebrews uh, famously begins, uh, long ago and in various ways, God spoke to the prophets of old, uh, spoke to our fathers of old by the prophets, but now in these last days, he has spoken to us uh, by his son, and embarrassingly, I can't. One of the services in our hymnal starts out with that. Do you remember which one it is? I believe it's I in. Just, I think it's an evening prayer that it's used after the after all the readings, and also in morning prayer as well in Lutheran service okay. book. That makes sense. I, you know, since since I've been a pastor, I've I've just gone back to my old ways of using uh, uh, matins and vespers exclusively sure. for my non-communion. Uh, services during the week, uh, and uh, so I couldn't remember, but I always liked it. I memorized it because we did it in seminary, but that's how it starts. So long ago, in many and various ways, God spoke to our fathers of old by the prophets, but now in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, uh, and yet Hebrews doesn't just then leave the prophets behind. Uh, quite the contrary, uh, he, he delves into what the prophets said to our fathers of old in many and various ways, um, and we look at the words of a prophet through the word of God's Son, Jesus Christ. So when you read through the book of Hebrews, you see how God sent his Son. He didn't 
sent an angel, he sent his own son, who is true God, of the same nature as the Father, same substance, essence as the Father, uh, and uh, he sent him to become a man who uh, is like us in every way, tempted like us in every way, except without sin. And it shows that this son is better than Moses, and his priesthood is better than the Levitical priesthood. Uh, and uh, it, it grants incredible value to the Old Testament. You see that the Old Testament really is not, it, it's of no good to us uh, anymore uh, without Christ. If we do not, in fact, of ever, it never was of any good if you did not know who, if you do not know who Christ is. You won't know the promise of, of Christ Jesus, then the Old Testament is of no value to you. And uh, chapter 4, which is what we're on, right? We're doing chapter 4, 1 through 13. You're right. Uh, good, good. God, we're on the same page. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but chapter uh, 3, he goes through uh, he, he goes through Psalm 95. He keeps on quoting Psalm 95. Uh, actually, the last four verses of it. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion. Uh, and uh, in verse in chapter four, he continues to talk about that small section, uh, uh, two verses in particular, uh, where he says, "As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest." He repeats that line, and then he repeats the line, "They shall not enter my rest." He uh, again. Uh, and then, again, he says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. So uh, those were all repeated in the previous chapter. Uh, Psalm 95 uh, is a huge topic as well that is actually in our uh, liturgy, or in one of our liturgies. It's in the uh, in Latin, as I mentioned earlier. It's called the Venite. Um, uh, what's ironic about it, I guess I'm kind of jumping ahead a little bit, uh, but uh, what's ironic about that is probably most of the listeners to this broadcast, especially the you know, LCMS Lutherans, know the Venite by heart, especially if you've gone to a Lutheran school and you had chapel. Well, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. And I could sing that by heart. I wouldn't have to even read it. Um, but that's not what's quoted in Hebrews 3 or 4. And what's funny about it is the Lutheran service book, along with a bunch of other Lutheran hymnals before it, cut out the last four verses, which talk about today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart in the rebellion. So uh, that's an interesting topic. I don't know if we need to get into it that much today, although we could, uh, that uh, that we would choose to cut out those words of warning that that the Holy Spirit placed at the end of this song of rejoicing. Um, and yet that's not what Holy Scripture does. In fact, you know, I, off the top of my head, I don't know where those first, you know, whatever eight verses of Psalm 95 are discussed in the New Testament, but mm. we do have discussion of these last four verses uh, of warning so that we do not uh, despise the word of the Lord and You know, it, it seems to me, if I recall right, that I had a conversation, it was about John chapter 10, I believe, with Pastor Sean Denzer, who's the chaplain for the International Center and also the director of worship for the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod. 
And we were talking about that chapter which in which Jesus calls himself the Good Shepherd, which is a theme for Psalm 95. And I'm pretty sure that, that we talked a little bit about it at the time, that you, as you mentioned already, our hymnal currently and a couple hymnals before that don't have those last verses of Psalm 95 in the Venite, but I think he said that in previous generations they were there. And especially in the context, you know, of John 10, where Jesus is calling himself the Good Shepherd, and he's talking especially to the the Pharisees who have rejected him as the Good Shepherd. Those words of warning from Psalm 95 are very fitting in that context. Maybe just just talk a little bit about that, why it is important for us, especially as we read Hebrews 4 today, to keep those words of warning in mind in the context of Psalm 95. Well, it, it goes with law and gospel. What, uh, and this is, again, what all Lutherans know. They were taught this from their youth. Uh, the law it shows you your need for a Savior. It shows you your sin. And the gospel is what saves you. Uh, and yet the law still applies because we still are sinners. We still have the that old Adam hanging around our neck. We still have the devil attacking us and trying to keep us from... Uh, from worshiping the Lord and from trusting in Him, and we have the world that works as Satan's minions, working to destroy our faith. I mean, if we would just be aware of uh, the dangers that surround us. But you're in Texas, right? So I, big... I was. I'm in Illinois now, but... Oh, yeah, that's right. I knew that. That's all right. But go ahead. Okay, talk well, about I mean, Texas. I love to talk about you, Texas, too. But you were in Texas, so you know how, how much people... Uh, I got you confused with Brian Wolfmiller. He's in Texas, <laughs> all right? That's uh, true, yeah. Yeah, okay, good. Another <laughs> great guy. Uh, so that's good company. Well, anyway, they love the Second Amendment there. You know, don't take away my guns. And, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to betray my politics, but, you know, I, I generally agree that, people, you know, I don't want the government to take away my guns, and anyone who would want to take away my guns, I treat with a little bit of suspicion, because why do you want them? But, but think about this. People are, they're, they're so uh, you know, hard set on, like, you know, I have to have the right to carry my gun and all these other things. But, well, why? Well, in all honesty, what are the chances of you eating it? Like, wow, well, when, when did that chance arise? Well, you want to have it. Like, okay, yeah, yeah, I agree. Okay, I agree. I agree. That's good. Okay. But, in all honesty, how many millions and millions and millions of people walk around unarmed every day and they never need a gun? Right. But Satan is going to be attacking you. Every day, he's constantly shooting arrows at you to destroy your faith. So we need these. We need these warnings, and we have these examples in Scripture. It wouldn't have been caused to be written in Psalm 95. Uh, the, the Psalter, which is the Psalms, is a hymn book. It's a prayer book. It's a book written. It's book filled with liturgical prayers, meaning prayers that are meant to be said not only privately but but in corporate worship. And the grand editor of the Psalms, which is the Holy Spirit himself, put those last four verses in there. And I think it is just a bit short-sighted and maybe, ah, shoot, I have to be careful because I might be insulting some uh, uh, people who actually are still alive who edited this. I think it is, I really wish that the uh, editors or whatever was the first hymnal that took those last four verses out, I wish they hadn't done that. I think it was short-sighted. uh, we should be singing these when we sing, uh, O come, let us sing to the Lord, uh, and, our, and rejoice that our children memorize the song. We should also hear them say those the strict warning from our Lord. Mm. Uh, and as you said, well, and as you said, the writer of Hebrews would certainly have us 
remember those words. That's part of his sermon text. As we've, we've said, thinking about the letter of Hebrews more as a sermon, you can see certain sermon texts, and, and Psalm 95 is a pretty key text for him in this section. As you said already as well, in chapter 3 is where he first brings up Psalm 95. He's going to continue to meditate upon that and apply that to the lives of his hearers. Maybe just by way of summary, what's the move that he's going to make now as he continues to apply Psalm 95 here in chapter 4? Exhortation. And that's, that's what it is. Exhortation uh, means to, it, it's like a call to arms. It's a call to action. Uh, he's using the, uh, the, the cordative voice. So he is, you know, let's, let us. Let us. Uh, my uh, my father-in-law makes fun of Liz Spainer, where he has a, he's, a, he's the founder of the uh, the first Pietist, where he he like one of his chapters in his book uh, is like let us let us. And he, he calls it like the salad uh, <laughs> chapter. But uh, so I always get a little bit sensitive about when I say let us in a in a sermon. I'm talking about salad, but no, let us is used a lot in scripture, not to make salad, but to exhort people. Let us. It brings the preacher. In with the congregation, the author of Hebrews inserts himself into uh, into every congregation that reads this to say, "This is what we must do, so that we do not fall as those before us did." Uh, and uh, it's an exhortation to enter God's wrath. Yeah, and Dr. Kleinig, in his introductory episode that I had with him here, he mentioned that there are a variety of these "let us." those cohortative statements from the author that are, are very important to pay attention to. And so we've got one here in chapter 4. So let us, as we will see, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. So let's go ahead and take a look at the text. This is Hebrews chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not, did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, Today, if you heard his voice if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. That's our text for today. That is Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 to 13. So there's actually two let us verses in this text, one in verse 1 and another in verse 11. So we begin with where we started, Hebrews 4, verse 1. It is let us 
fear. That's the cohortative. Uh, take us into the first verse, Pastor Bryce. Right. So uh, the let us fear. That's a very interesting thing because, you know, we don't like to fear. And even throughout Scripture, there's often this uh, this language of, you know, do, you know, do not fear. So uh, in, in St. John's epistle, that, that uh, perfect love uh, casts out fear, you know. So if we have true faith, we will not fear. It also reminds me of what uh, Moses says to uh, the, uh, or, yeah, what Moses says to the people of Israel in Exodus 20. We had that reading for our first day of Wednesday school um, uh, recently uh, when, uh, when we start with the, with the Ten Commandments. And he says, do not fear, for God is testing you that the fear of him may go before you. So uh, there is such a thing as good godly fear. Uh, scripture even says that a, a wife should fear, or we often translate as respect, her husband. So let us fear, like I said before, this brings the preacher, uh, again, I guess the, I'm sure the guys before me, have, uh, the passage before me have, have talked about this, who wrote Hebrews? I'm not sure. I like to refer to him as the apostle, mm. but then it kind of occurred to me that I guess it's possible that it isn't an apostle, although I think Scripture uses the word apostle both in the narrow and broad sense because a number of guys get called apostles, and you're like, wait a minute, was he an apostle? Um, but anyway, the, the preacher, the apostle, the one who wrote Hebrews, is bringing, joining himself to everyone who hears this, let us. And, uh, and then what is he exhorting them to do to fear? Now, this word for fear is more broad than just an emotion. He brings in, uh, it, this implies that, uh, that he has a, uh, it's a caution here. It's like, listen, there's an actual danger here that we should recognize. Uh, it's kind of like when we teach our children the hymn, you know, I walk in danger all the way. Well, that doesn't sound nice. Well, yeah, well, my parents taught that to me when I was a child, and I've taught it to my children. The wonderful hymn, every Christian child should know that he walks in danger all the way. So, uh, these things were written for our learning. Why did Moses, or I guess Joshua, uh, or both of them, record the failing failure of Israel to enter God's rest? Uh, it was for our sake, so that we would take heed, lest we, like them, fail to reach it. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, with the thought of, of the proper fear of God. This is something that we learn as, as Lutherans in the Ten Commandments when we think about the small catechism, the meaning that Luther gave to each one. We should fear and love God so that. So this there is a proper fear of God that, that then ends up taking away a, a fear of God. The, the passage that I often think about when it comes to the, the proper fear of God is in Matthew 10, where Jesus, in, in sending out his apostles, tells them to to not be afraid of those who can kill the body, but be afraid of the one who can send both body and soul to hell. So so fear God. But by the end of that section, then he, he reminds them of the Father's love for them. It says, so don't be afraid, because you're of more value than many sparrows. So that that fear of God is something that we don't want to to lose, but keep it in its proper perspective. Yeah. Well that I mean that's that's the whole thing. It, it's it's uh uh Oh, that's, this shows my, my youth, I guess, uh, or age, depending on who, who you are. 
uh, you know, when I was a kid, the Lion King came up, and that's like the whole thing. Like you could think of like Simba, and I'm not endorsing this movie. Theologically, it's a very bad movie, but uh, you know, Simba is there's a part where he's like terrified of the uh, of the hyenas because he went where he was supposed to go, and then his father comes. And the movie does do a really good job of showing that fear. Like, he has this fear of his father because his father's shown up and he was caught doing what he wasn't supposed to do. But there's also this fear of his father because he goes and, like, just eats up the, the hyenas. Yeah. And uh, that's kind of like, man, all of the, all of the uh, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, uh, Chronicles of Narnia fans, they're all upset at me. That I'm not bringing up uh, Aslan. I'm bringing up Mufasa. Oh, man, I've committed a great uh, crime. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, yeah, Mufasa is like a Jesus figure or a God figure, uh, and uh, but he's uh, yeah. That's that's kind of how it is, is. Is we recognize that God can cast us into hell, and yet we're not afraid of him as if he's like Satan, whose goal is to cast us into hell. But rather, we trust in him and recognize that he is the one that we should fear uh, and trust in. So there's a fear that goes with with a trust and with a confidence. Uh, that God has actually prepared a rest for us. And that's a huge thing, too. This whole rest, uh, that's the major theme in this, uh, in this chapter. What is that rest? And uh, how was it obtained for us? And how do we enter it? Okay, so let's keep working our way through then with the, the author of Hebrews, the preacher, as he continues now to exhort, or in this ex- exhortation. How does What's the move that he makes in verse 2? Uh, in verse 2, uh, it says, For good news came to us just as to them. So this is the first explanation to that exhortation. So the exhortation is, let us fear, lest we not enter the rest. And then he said, and then why? Well, number one, for the good news came to us just as to them. But, of course, uh, they aren't the ones, they did not benefit from it. Well, why did they not benefit from it? Well, here, I'll, I'll, I'll back up a little bit. Uh, the fact that they did benefit from it, this should remind you of 1 Corinthians 10, uh, 1 through 5, where uh, St. Paul who may be the apostle who wrote Hebrews, uh, wrote, For I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed into the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all ate the same, and all drank the same spiritual drink. They drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased where they were overthrown in the wilderness. Uh, so this, I mean, it's very much the same thing. Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 is using the people of Israel, of that generation who still were with Moses, as the example of a warning. And uh, the preacher in Hebrews 4 is using the people who uh, followed Joshua as that warning. Although I guess it is a little bit a little bit ambiguous. Well, he mentions Joshua later, so I'm going to stick with Joshua. Uh, so these these things happened as, as a warning to us. And with St. Paul goes even to more, I mean, he talks about them being them having the same spiritual drink, etc. He talks about them having the same baptism, which is another argument uh, for infant baptism. They carried the babies to the baptism of Moses, which is the same baptism as our baptism. That's what St. Paul says. So babies... When they 
they say that babies weren't baptized in the Bible, they were, because they didn't leave the babies on the uh, on the Egyptian side of the Red Sea for them to make their own decision for Yahweh before they crossed. Uh, they brought them through. Um, but uh, uh, but they, so even if you are baptized, even if you receive the sacrament, even if you hear the gospel, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to benefit from it. Uh, there's a there's a missing there's, there's there's a link that needs to be joined to it. So what is that? Well, it's it's faith. So in verse two it says because well this is another thing that's interesting. This is why it's good to slow down and uh, and look at the original language and maybe also read someone who looks at it even better than you. Uh, but uh, you, there's a when you look at your uh, Greek New Testament there are little variants that I think most pastors just don't pay attention to. Uh, but sometimes you should. Uh, so it says, For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Um, and that's the ESV translation, and that's if you take the more popular variant. Well, there's a, a, a word, and it's really only, let's see, I think it's only one letter that makes the difference. Uh, so there's a single letter that, can, that uh, can either be there or not. If it is there, then it means that, uh, that it's the they. They're talking about those people. They were not united by faith with those who listened. But if this letter is missing, then it means he, or really just I mean, it's the masculine singular uh, nominative instead of the uh, um, masculine, masculine uh, accusative plural. So it would mean was not united, or it was not united. So what would that the reference be? Well, it would be the message. The message, the word, the logos, was not united by faith uh, uh, with those who listened. So that, that uh, I think, uh, that's the one that Kleinig and his commentary uh, endorses, and I actually am more convinced of that, mainly because it kind of it sounds better, uh, the message was proclaimed. They heard it in their ears, but faith was not joined to it. Faith was not mingled with it. And that word that I've been talking about, uh, that uh, where if you have one letter missing, then it's excuse uh, plural has or it's uh, nominative uh, singular. And if, it, if, it, if the letter is there, then it is excuse plural. That word really means to mix, to mingle, and it's like the mixing of of uh, like water with wine to make a new substance, hmm. or the the mixing of uh, of elements where you, you form something new. So you have faith joined to this word, and they're united, and they become a new substance. Um, so then the discussion goes to well, what does he mean by faith? So you have the faith by which you believe. So that's the activity of believing. And then you have the faith which you believe. So, for example, the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed, which we confess. So we confess our faith, the faith which we believe, and but it's within the, it's the heart that does the activity of believing. So, which one is he talking about here? Um, I think both could be correct. Uh, obviously, if you hear the word but you don't believe it, you don't have the activity of believing, then it doesn't do you any good. Uh, again because I read Kleinick's chapter uh, on this, uh, he suggests that this is a faith which one believes. In this 
goes back to what we were talking about earlier uh, about uh, about if you do not know the sun. You know, long ago in many various ways, God spoke to our fathers of old by the prophets. But now, in these last days, He's spoken to us by His Son. If you don't have faith in the Son, hmm. then then you're going to fail. Yeah. And that's why the people in Joshua's day and Moses' day failed because they didn't have the true faith. They didn't have faith in the Son. And this goes back to if you don't have faith, which is a gift from God, then you the, the scriptures remain a closed book. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I think I think that take also fits well with what we're going to read later in this chapter, that it is the Word of God that's living and active. So if you're not united to that Word of God, the faith that's given in that Word of God, then you don't have this rest. So I, I, think, I think that fits really well in the context of this section and the whole letter to Hebrews. We're going to keep looking more at this text on the other side of the break. You're listening to... You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor James Price this morning. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that an investment with Lutheran Church Extension Fund exclusively supports LCMS ministries and church workers? That's right. LCEF ensures LCMS churches, schools, and organizations have access to the financial resources they need to sustain, strengthen, and start ministry work. In other words, you can feel good investing with LCEF because we share your Lutheran values and love for the church. Learn more at lcef.org. LCF is a nonprofit religious organization. Therefore, LCF investments are not FDIC insured bank deposit accounts. This is not an offer to sell investments or solicitation to buy. LCF will offer and sell its securities only in states where authorized. The offer is made solely by LCF's offering circular. Investors should carefully read the offering circular, which more fully describes associated risks. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Tuesday, October 10th. We're studying Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 to 13 with Pastor James Preuss. He serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Ottumwa, Iowa. Pastor Preuss, prior to the break, we were looking at the various ways, the explanations that the author of Hebrews gives to his exhortation. You took us through the first explanation in verse 2. Help us into the next couple explanations in verses 3 to 5. All right. So again, he says, uh, "For we, so for each explanation, you have that word for. So that's the explanation. So for we who have uh, believed enter that rest. So again, uh, what made the others fail to enter the rest? Well, they didn't believe. They didn't have faith. They didn't have the faith in the Savior. But we who believe have entered that rest. And then uh, he goes on and quotes Psalm 95 that we're talking." Before, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Uh, and and uh, what's significant about again about Psalm 95? We were talking about this earlier about how it's a, a liturgical psalm, it's a canticle in uh, Latin, known as the Vite, uh, from the you know the Latin word for will come. And uh, but it was also a liturgical a canticle, I suppose you would call it, an, an introit, in the Old Testament, they would chant it uh, when they were uh, processing to celebrate the Feast of Booths, or tabernacle, uh, Tabernacles, and uh, they also, later on, when the synagogues developed, because the 
would have that on, they would have to say this psalm of entering into the Sabbath on Friday night, because every time they would observe the Sabbath, every week, every seven days, they would remember the rest, that great rest that God would finally give them. So uh, the author of Hebrews uses this verse to, to say, I mean, by using these last few verses, I mean, he wants you to be thinking of the first verse. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord, let's make a joyful noise to the rock for our salvation. It's like, you know, come, come and worship the Lord. Come and enter his rest. He uses these words to warn, but if you aren't prepared, if you don't have faith, then you are not prepared to enter the rest, and you will not enter the rest as those before you who weren't prepared did not enter it. The other thing is, what does he mean by this rest? Well, the we, we get it where he says, although his works are finished from the foundation of the world, or he has somewhere spoken uh, in Genesis of a seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. So God has prepared this rest from, for us from before the foundation of the world. This reminds me uh, of Ephesians 2, or Ephesians 1, although it's a slightly different context, where he says that we are predestined from before the foundation of the world. Uh, but that rest that God made, uh, it, 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 it's, this is his paradise. Like he, he created man in his image so that man in his image could enjoy God's rest from his labor. So this was prepared before us. Uh, Kleine calls it this primordial rest, this primordial Sabbath. Uh, but this is an eternal rest. This is... Uh, a rest that's with God. Uh, so we're talking about uh, we're talking about eternal paradise. We're talking about uh, something that is beyond anything that we've experienced in this world. Uh, it's really things that we can only compare it to. You know, you have the rest of the Sabbath day. You don't work that day. Okay, hear God's word, and that's very you know uh, encouraging and, and revitalizing, etc. Okay, you you. You get the land rest. Uh, you know, you have the Sabbath, all these different things. None of them really touch what we're going to experience. Uh, and yet, we do experience it through faith even now in this world uh, that's filled with labor. Uh, so the third explanation, uh, for he has somewhere spoken, that, that's a third uh, explanation. He's quoting uh, Genesis 2. So the... the First explanation is for the good news came to us, just as to them. The second explanation uh, is that we, uh, who have believed, enter the rest. And the third one is what kind of rest this is. But God has spoke about this from the very beginning. If he entered this rest, it's something that is eternal. This isn't just a temporary uh, blessing. So as he continues then in his sermon, his preaching, in verses 6 through 8, what's the next move that he makes concerning this rest? That there remains a rest to enter. Um, so the, the, the very fact, I mean, this, again, this is kind of similar to what St. Paul talks about in Romans, you know, with the 9 through 11 in that area, where he talks about how the Jews failed uh they, they fail to enter, so then the Gentiles enter. So uh, 
you know, the, the, Jews, the, the natural olive branches are cut off so that wild ones may be grafted in. So the fact that they failed to enter it then uh, shows us that there is still uh, a rest to come. Um, so uh, uh, let's see here. Where, where am I going with this? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So now he shifts from talking about their being a rest, that there remains a rest, but then he talks about when is this rest. So David says in Psalm 95, today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your heart. So there remains a rest for the people of God, and it is today. Uh, as long as the gospel is preached, as long as God permits this promise to be proclaimed, then, uh, then this rest is, is for you. But remember, Christ is going to return as a thief in the night, so you don't know when this is going to end. So don't think, oh, well, we hear this all the time. Oh, well, yeah, I'll come back to church when you know, things settle down, whatever that means. Well, you're not ever going to come back, are you, if, you, if you're going to have that attitude. Uh, and you don't know. You don't know if God's going to take your life tonight, and you don't know if Christ is going to return. Uh, so we have this today. There's kind of a, uh, an urgency here. There's an urgency to enter the rest now while you still can. And it's also significant that David, over 400 years later, writes of today, uh, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. He's talking about entering the rest today. Well, if it was given through Joshua uh, when they entered the promised land, then, uh, then David wouldn't be speaking of a rest later on. The fact that David writes about it later on means that this rest is still available. And that word today is as important for us to hear today, or even more so than when David first wrote it by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Mm. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, as you said, there's a great urgency with that word today. So when you hear the word of God, when should you repent? When should you believe it? When should you act upon it? Well, right now, today is that day. St. Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians, I think, chapter 6, that today is the day of salvation. So so listen to it today. And even to think about it, you know, so there's a there's an aspect of warning to the word today, but I think there's also a, an aspect of grace in the word today. Uh, especially, I think this comes through in the way that Luke records his gospel you think about the song of the angels on Christmas night, or I guess before the song of the angels when they come to the shepherds, unto you is born this day, today, in the city of David. Or to, to Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19, today salvation has come to this house because Jesus is there. And then maybe all that culminates then with the, the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. So it's, yes, there is a warning and we need to hear that, but I think there's also an element of, of grace in that today, because that's, that's where God comes to meet you is today to bring you his salvation. Yeah. Right. I mean, it was kind of funny. I grew up in uh, the pietistic Minnesota um, where, you know, there, you would be, you would be uh, uh, said, don't say I have to run laps. Say that I get to run laps. Don't say that I have to empty out the garbage. Say that I get to you know, take out the garbage or whatever. Um, and uh, so don't say, I have to go to church, say that I get to go to church. And people groan when they hear things like that. But it's true, though. Don't say, I have to go to church. You get to today. Like, when, when do I get to be with God? When, when, when can I come and, 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 and be before God? Uh, we have to stop thinking of, of heaven 
as our hedonistic dream. Heaven is being with God. We get to rest with God. Uh, and that's what we should desire. Uh, so preparing yourself for heaven, a lot of it is shedding this, your, what you think heaven should be and learning to love what God says heaven is. It's his rest that he prepared for himself and for you, uh, that he is inviting you to come and When will I be able to do this? Today, right now. Come, hear his word, receive the sacrament, worship with him and his saints and his angels, both on this side of, uh, of heaven and the other. We'll join together through faith uh, and, uh, and we'll continue to be praising him in his rest until we, uh, forever, uh, really, faith now and it will be Phil and I later on. So that, that thought of the joy to be in God's rest, to be in his presence now, to experience the, the joys of heaven because you are with him, I think that really carries us into the, the next couple of verses. Uh, what, is the, what does the author say as he moves into verses 9 through 10? Uh, well, one what I would like to point out is the word for Joshua uh, in Hebrew, or in both Hebrew and in Greek, but here it's written in, in Greek, it's the same word for Jesus. Which, so if you're reading it, you, you kind of get like thrown, in Greek, you kind of get thrown off, and then you remember, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> the context is obvious that he's not talking about Jesus failing to give rest. Right. He's talking about Joshua in the Old Testament failing to give rest. But it also shows that, that his Old Testament Joshua is a type of Christ. Because he did give the people a certain rest. He did bring them into the promised land, but it just simply wasn't the eternal rest that God prepared on the seventh day, and which Christ earned for us to enter on the cross and by his resting in the tomb. But in verse 9, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for those who, uh, for whoever has entered God's rest, is also rested from his works as God did from his. Uh, so this is just uh, a tremendous thing. Uh, it's the, the conclusion that there remains a rest, a Sabbath rest, for the people of God, and that it is God's rest. Um, the the word for rest there in, in Greek is uh, uh, is uh, it's not just simply Sabbath rest, but it, what it really means is like Sabbath celebration, and it's a different word than you would normally. Uh, encounter, and I think the purpose of that is to get you to stop and think. Uh, why didn't you use the normal word for Sabbath? Um, in fact, I remember right, let's see, where is Greek? Um, it, it, it uses this word for for rest that has uh, pausing, it's like a sort hmm. of pause or something like that, and then all of a sudden it switches to this Sabbath language, but the Sabbath, the celebration the Sabbath celebration. Um, so it's something that you would think of, uh, uh, of with a festival, uh, something where you're going to uh, receive uh, great joy and it's, it's being joined with, with God. So um, anyway, that's it, it's, uh, it's, the point of it is to get us to stop and think. This isn't just, this isn't just Friday night into Saturday uh, into Saturday evening, as the Jews have it. This isn't just a lazy Sunday afternoon like that Calvin Hobbes uh, book. Um, this is 
entering into God's rest. Uh, we should think of uh, what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Uh, take my yoke and learn from me, for I am uh, uh, lowly and tender in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Uh, this is a rest that is a rest from sin. This is a rest from uh, guilt. This is a rest from the fear of damnation. This is a rest from division. It's a rest from all the consequences. And it's a rest from death, the fear of death. Um, and this is a rest that you can only enter into through Christ. So in Hebrews itself, uh, it talks about Christ entering into these holy places. So in, uh, in chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, it says, We have this as assurance that that anchor of the soul, a hope that enters the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. He's a forerunner. So when we're talking about entering the Sabbath rest, we're talking about following our high priest who by his blood has, uh, uh, has made has given us access to this. Uh, again, in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 and 12, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, but not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by the means of blood, of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. That eternal redemption is for us. And for that reason we have access into those holy places. Um, so again, you can't think of this rest outside of it being God's rest and it being acquired for us by Christ himself. Now, the, the writer then moves to another exhortation, one of these let us statements, as we talked about earlier. In verse 11, now it's not let us fear, but instead it's let us strive to enter that rest. Talk to us about this exhortation. So, yeah, so it, it changes from a let us fear to let us eagerly strive to enter God's rest. Uh, or, I'm sorry, yeah, let us fear, yeah. So, um he moves from, I suppose, a negative to, to a positive. So first, we'll take this very seriously, because there's actually a danger that you might not enter this rest. There are those who heard this promise before, and they didn't enter it, but the rest is still available for you, and it's available for, for you today. So therefore, let us eagerly strive to enter it. Uh, this is the, the purpose of our life. And I mean, this is... As pastors, I mean, that, that's pretty much our whole calling, is trying to convince people to not stop striving to enter this rest. That this rest is more important than how much money you're going to make this year. It's more important than how much money you're going to save or uh, how much your investments are going to go up for your retirement. It's more important than where your kids go to college. It's more important than who you marry. It's more important than how many kids you have, than how much money you make, how much property you get whether the Packers win the Super Bowl, whatever it is, uh, this is the most important thing. And we're not much different from uh, the people of the Old Testament who failed to enter that rest. And we have to be humble enough to recognize that. They failed to enter it because they didn't hold on to the faith. Um, so, but don't take that as a discouragement. Take it as, you know, as uh, putting a fire under your... Uh, under your feet. Get up. 
get going, uh, you have a sure promise uh, before you. Now, that, that sure promise is in the Word of God, which is living and active. Hebrews 4, verse 12 is perhaps one of the better-known verses in the book of Hebrews. This is where part of the introduction for this show comes from, that the living of God, the Word of God is this living and active two-edged sword. Help us into this verse, Pastor Preuss. Right. He, well, he speaks of uh, the Word of God uh, with a number of descriptions. So he says it's living and active. Uh, so the Word of God works. And you think about Isaiah 55, uh, where, yeah, it's 55, where he says, you know, as the snow and rain come down from the earth and do not return empty, but uh, uh, water the earth, bring forth, you know, uh, for the bread, uh, seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so does my word go, uh, that, so is my word that comes forth from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty, but it shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Um, you have the, the parable of the sower and the seed, that the word of God, you know, the force of it that falls in good soil will actually produce a, a plentiful crop of, you know, some, six, uh, what is it, some uh, 30, some 60, some 100 gold, uh, or something like that. Uh, so, yeah, the Word of God is what actually creates faith, that this is the instrument by which the Holy Spirit works to create faith where and when He wills. Uh, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow. I think traditionally this is looked at uh, as you know both preaching the law and the gospel, at least in, in Lutheran circles. Uh, but it's, you know, the, the, you can't, you can't fudge the Word of God. I mean, the Word of God is going to, uh, it's going to cut through everything. It's going to cut through every lie. It's going to cut through every false uh, sense of exaltation and, and, uh, and self-righteousness. Uh, it's going to condemn, and yet it's, it's also going to remove your sins from you. It's going to do the work of, of justifying, sanctifying uh, by producing faith in Christ Jesus who died for our sins, and by uh, uh, renewing the spirit, the, the heart, uh, to walk uh, with God, uh, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Uh, you want to know, when I mean, you read the Bible, because you want to know how God thinks, what God thinks about you and the world and how things should be. Uh, but you also read the Bible to know how you think. God knows you. And when you read the Bible, you, kinda, you get that. Uh, it, you're not pulling anything past God. He, he's met it before. He knows exactly where you're coming from, uh, and uh, and he knows what you need better than you need. Uh, so scripture, this it just goes it just goes back like how do you enter this rest? Well, through the word, uh, and it's uh, by receiving this word in faith. Uh, so again, you, it just goes back to the beginning of this whole book. Uh, uh, that but now. Uh, he has spoken to us by his son. So recognizing that this is the word of his son, uh, and this is the, these are the words that give eternal life, and uh, listen to them through faith in his, in his son. And uh, this word has the power to create faith in your heart, to bring you to repentance, strengthen your faith, uh, and to grant you eternal life, and to finally grant you this eternal rest. Now, all of that would be a fantastic conclusion to a sermon, Pastor Preuss, but we have one more verse today that maybe doesn't sound like as a fantastic conclusion to a sermon, but we need to hear it just the same, because as you reminded us with Psalm 95, 
The Holy Spirit puts these words here for us to hear and to learn and take to heart. So verse 13 is, is the final verse for our text today. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. We've got about three minutes for this verse to help us wrap things up this morning, Pastor Bryce. You know, I, I know what a chiasm is, because I know what the letter chi looks like, and I've read enough commentaries, and other people really like them. I get, I don't know, am, am I a bad person if I say that I'm not super excited about chiasm? <laughs> but, you know, chiasm is the most natural thing in the world, and you don't have to read Luke uh, or, or our just commentary on Luke to find chiasms everywhere. But I think, isn't this the chiasm? Let us fear, and then at the LA closes by talking about how Everyone is naked and exposed. I mean, that's kind of a fearful thing. Uh, yeah, you're right. This isn't the most comfortable thing to think about, uh, but it goes back to the very beginning. Let us fear, lest we should fail to reach it. And uh, there's, no, there's no sneaking in. There's no faking it. Uh, faith is the most intimate thing uh, that exists. We're talking about your very heart your heart that was turned against God, that rebelled against God, but that by the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, through, the, uh, through his word, uh, has converted you and changed your heart from hating God to loving God, to fearing God, to trusting in God. And uh, you can't fake it. You, you, God knows your heart. Uh, he knows if you're going to church uh, just for, for uh, as a pretense. Uh, he knows that like, you can tell the person who invited you to church, and you say, "Oh well, you know, I have my faith," and then they, and you know, I read my Bible at home. You can tell them that. Well, God knows your heart. So it doesn't matter what lie you tell the people, even if you convince them, you can't convince God otherwise. Uh, and His Word will expose that too. But don't don't fear in the sense of, "Oh, I must run away from God." But this is all the more reason that we should fear lest we enter that rest and go through that second exhortation, and eagerly seek to enter it. And this isn't being saved by our work. To eagerly seek to enter this rest means to trust in Christ, to receive his grace, receive his sacrament, receive his absolution, his forgiveness, uh, and keep on receiving it, and and, and never forget that this is the most important thing. This is how we access that rest which God has prepared for us Pastor James Preuss is pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Ottumwa, Iowa. He's been helping us today to study Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 to 13. Pastor Preuss, thanks for being our guest today. Thank you. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about Hebrews chapter 4, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or download the KFUO app and use the open mic feature to send up to a 60-second message to us. Either way, it's always a joy to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.